Happy Hour, the officially unofficial podcast for Mad Men on AMC. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And tonight we're talking about Season 7, Episode 4, entitled The Monolith. Uh, this was a really good episode, in my opinion. Another one. I mean, they've been just hitting home runs lately. Yeah, I all mean, season. I don't think it's as good as last episode, or the last few episodes, but okay. it's still a very quality piece of entertainment, and yeah. a little slow to get started, but I thought it really delivered the goods by the time... The uh, final half hour clock then. Okay. Um, there, as usual, are a lot of uh, symbolic things going on in this episode. You don't say. Um, <laughs> that wouldn't be a Mad Men episode without that. And I'm sure we're going to delve into all of those in time. Why don't we get right into the recap, though? Sound good? Uh, do you want to mention the mon- Just to set us up, do you want to mention the first, which is the title itself? Okay, sure. The monolith. I mean, there there are a lot of 2001 Space Odyssey illusions in this episode, um, you know, with the monolith being an obvious one, the computer being an obvious one. Um, there are there are quite a few more. I mean, even the guy who's installing the computer is named Holly, H-A-W-L-E-Y, which is similar to Hal, oh which my is the God. actual computer. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, there there are a whole bunch of them in here, and we'll talk about them as we get to them. There's one that we see almost right at the beginning, um, but first, before we see that, Pete actually sees George, who is a former VIX employee, now works for Burger Chef, and he kind of talks him up at dinner. Doesn't really think much of it. He's at dinner with Bonnie, the real estate agent, his girlfriend now at this point. Doesn't think much of it. Conversations like that happen all the time, he says. But as we know later in the episode, they kind of land this Burger Chef account. Um, he also finds out that his ex-father-in-law, Tom Vogel, had a heart attack. Right. This was uh, Trudy's father. Mm-hmm. Uh, still is, I assume. I don't think he's dead. I think he just had a heart attack. Yeah, I, I think uh, George here said that he was fine, in fact. Yeah, yeah. So, But just a reminder of how disconnected he is from his family. Absolutely. You know, and, and his, you know, this is an important character in his daughter's life, if nothing else. And the fact yep. that he had no idea and the Trudy didn't bother to tell him or that he didn't bother to take the message, I think, really bothered him. This kind of shook him out of his hazy, not hazy days, but like, I don't know, what would you call his California... California dreaming California phase. vibe, yeah. Shook him out yeah. of his good vibrations. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, then we go to the first of our... Did, did you... Huh? I felt like he really Don Drapered Bonnie pretty hard at the In end. In what way? You know, because she was giving him a sincere compliment, and he, because he was distracted by other things, completely shut her down. Like, it's it's nothing. Okay. Like that happen all the time. Yeah, so so the Tom Vogel thing got to him, and then he just kind of dismissed the Burger Chef Which thing. Is, again, I think that's a classic Draper, is to be dismissive and aloof uh, when you're having trouble... Uh, emotionally connecting with the situation. Okay. Could be. Uh, speaking of Don, he arrives at work to find that he didn't get the memo about uh, a meeting going on upstairs to announce the installation of the new computer that Harry has been wanting. Yeah. And so Cutler. how... He's still a partner, right? 
He is, yeah. I guess this was, they, they justified this by saying this was a pre-dawn conversation, which I feel is bullshit. Because Cutler brought this up in the meeting that they had about Don coming back. Mm-hmm. And at any point, the specifics, like, hey, we're going to dismantle the creative bullpen, yeah. would almost certainly be something that Don would be involved in. You know, it would be. I mean, this is a very special set of circumstances. They, At this point, everyone, I think, except for Roger, wants him out of the company completely. And that's made abundantly obvious in this episode uh, to us and to Don himself. Um, it seems like maybe they're just not consulting him. They don't give a shit. They aren't going to consult him about anything but because he's only isn't there you know, a fraction of the company. Isn't there something that they could do? I mean, aren't they in breach? Yeah, like, for example, he has to report to Lou. There's nothing in that says that he can then be assigned to an underling below Lou and report to her. But if Lou says that's how it's going to go, that's how it's going to go, right? I don't right? know, man. That seems like the kind of thing that is very much open to a lawsuit interpretation. Yeah, I I don't think you're wrong there. I think Don might have a case if he wanted to pursue it, but right. at this point he feels kind of powerless, I think. Right. Uh but certainly insulted, as we'll get to later. Uh, I really like how it's so silent at the beginning of this scene. Mm, and, yeah. and we actually get, like I said, the first allusion to 2001 with the elevator doors opening and him seeing the other elevator doors, which look exactly like the monolith. Very much from so. 2001. Um, and and I, we will talk more about how 2001 kind of ties into this, other than just the computer being a, a very literal interpretation. Um but, but we'll get there. Yeah, I have a hard time with this because I, in high school, was a huge hard science fiction nerd. Yeah. To the point that I, I saw both 2001 and the 2010 sequel. Oh, boy. And okay. I read both Not novels. Not as good, so I hear. Um, <laughs> I just depends. Um, I read both novels, and I also read 2061, which oh, was the, God. the uh, trilogy sequel. And it's weird that they all kind of run together in my mind. Oh, okay. Like, I've only you know, ever seen monolith, 2001. You know, it's like which monolith, when, which monolith appeared where and which one was orbiting Jupiter and when Jupiter <laughs> collapsed into a star. Which shit one was gets, on the moon. Shit, that's what I'm saying. It's like how yeah. – I, I can't be too mad at the end of 2010 because we got – our solar system got a new star. Okay. So that was pretty badass. Sure. Uh, anyway. Second sun. The second sun. Jeez. Fucking ignited Jupiter. Those monoliths. <laughs> Okay, uh, that doesn't happen in 2001. I'm pretty sure. So <laughs> I'm positive, but I'm just saying if uh, we were talking about this pre-show, and I'm like, oh shit, I'm getting a lot of these details because it's been 15 years since I thought yeah. about it. So you, I'm bowing to your 2001 knowledge because all I've ever seen is 2001, and you've seen so. the movie very recently. Because I remember, like, uh, not too long ago, yeah, you came in one night wild-eyed and evangelical about it. Because you read, of a, movie you'd read a Roger Ebert review and then saw the movie, and I'm like, yeah, that's one of those like The Godfather, where if you're fortunate enough to make it into like your later years without seeing it, and which I you, had, yeah, then you see it, it's like, oh my god, this is the fucking best thing I've ever seen. Yeah, um, and I wish that Roger Ebert had done podcasts at some <sighs> point, you know, because before he lost his voice for the last ten years and then died, yeah, yeah. lost his jaw. Yeah. Um, it, Anyway, so it's very silent at the beginning of this episode, and Don walks in to see this telephone, which is off the hook and banging against the desk. And it very much felt to me like this is a clock ticking on Don's – what I thought at first was Don's Don's life because we've seen a lot of allusions to death 
running up to this. We see the Mets banner in this mm, episode, sure. and we know that was a possession of Lane, who killed himself. Right. A lot of this could be leading to that, but as I watched the episode, it became more apparent that this is Don's time as a creative being running out. Mm. You think so? I think so. I think there's support from the, the final scenes with Freddie Rumson in this episode. I think there's support from the idea that the creative bullpen has been completely dismantled to make way for this new computer. I yeah. think that sets a solid case that technology is usurping the creativity of the past. Well, and lots of emphasis on time passing. You know, last episode we saw him staring at his watch as he's waiting for it to turn nine to go in and yeah. fear and uncertainty. So, yeah, you might be right. Um, Certainly but... this is a remaking of the organization that – is making it unrecognizable. Oh, yeah. You know, Don, as being one of the head founders, creative was out of focus, and uh, we hear one of the twerp, the, the creative twerp say that this is what made this place special. Mm-hmm. You know, the creative lounge where everybody kind of got smoked together. Weed and and smoked weed and <laughs> came up with ideas. ideas off each other, yeah. So that's definitely creative is being dethroned. Yeah, and the idea that the first thing Don does, even before he knows that he's reemployed at this place, is go to the creative bullpen. Uh, the creative side of this is where he feels most at home. Now that's gone. I mean, the couch isn't even a thing anymore. It has no place in the office. It won't fit anymore. I feel like they should be playing the reins of Castamere behind <laughs> all these scenes with Cutler. The downfall of, yeah. of Don Draper uh-huh, and right. the old regime. Sure. Yep, yep. I'm with you. Anyway. um, The Cutlers send their regards. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Cutler, God, there's a brutal look. In this scene where Don walks by Cutler and he just gives him the stink eye, man. I can't believe what kind of look he gives him. Plenty of stink eye going around this episode. Yeah, definitely. Some top tier weaponized stink eye. (laughs) Some top tier hats, too, with Harry and Cutler. Why are they (laughs) the only ones wearing the hats? They were really the champions of the computer. Because this is, I mean, even not even the fucking installer dude is wearing a hat. It was just just them posing. This is what guys in suits do. Yeah. To lead the troops while everyone rolls their eyes behind her back. I'm sure you've been there. Sure. Definitely. Uh, so in the next scene, Ginsburg wants to take the couch from the creative lounge for his office, but it's too big. It doesn't fit. It has no and place. And the other one's full of farts. Uh, <laughs> the one is full of farts. Great line. And I know the, the full of farts syndrome. My uncle had a couch uh-huh. for years, probably two decades, that he sat on and farted into, and you'd sit on it and... You'd smell the decades. Yeah. To put can, it kindly. You can certainly inject flavor <laughs> with a long enough, determined enough time. Jesus. Uh, so, yeah, the, the creative lounge is being replaced by the computer. I think that's a huge symbol of, like I said, the times changing. I'm surprised we didn't get a Bob Dylan song in this episode, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> um, and Don's door has been blocked by the couch. It's interesting. It's been displaced, and now it's sitting as an obstacle in front of Don, getting to his office where he would presumably do work. I think it's another symbol. Um, I was, I'm sitting uh, pondering Ginsburg's word about you know couch, couch physics, along couch with farts, his yeah, along with his uh, fart capacity. He also talked about how you have to carry your couch mm. lower because I'm at the end of the fulcrum or the teeter-totter the seesaw i think is the, the seesaw word yeah, yeah. yeah um is there anything to that as far as um hmm. is, is this a metaphor for lou dragging everyone down 
that anyone that tries to kind of elevate themselves or or, or, or fly higher, he tamps down. And Interesting. the fact that Ginsburg is railing about creative being destroyed, but at the same time, he's one of the guys that has been taken advantage of the most, lose kind of lackadaisical and, and been kind yeah. of his lapdog. No, you're right about that. And now he's stuck with a couch full of farts for his trouble. That's well, what he's happens also when you stuck. Back Lou. <laughs> get a couch full of farts. You get a fart-filled couch. He's also going to have to compensate, I think, for Don not pulling his weight, which is, you know, Don's mm. on the other end of that couch, not pulling his weight, not mm. lifting mm. in the same capacity. So maybe there's a little bit of that. With did Don you, back in the mix, he's going to have to do more. Did you mention about Peggy bad-mouthing Lou? When did that happen? No, right. I, I, didn't. I think we skipped that. Yeah, that was like some uh, an oh shit moment where she was uh, talking about you know he doesn't understand creative and then he comes up and says hey we're gonna use a computer more than you ever use that lounge yeah and I'm thought oh god Peggy's in for it okay did not see yeah. the rope-a-dope coming sure uh, so then Don goes into his new office which as we know used to be Lane's office and he finds this Mets pennant under the filing cabinet uh. First thought in here was, oh, my God, that's horrifying. Because as we know, Lane had that hanging in his office. Um, and it was kind hanging, of a sim- Hanging, Jim, too soon. <laughs> too soon. Okay, I'll choose my words. A little bit more appropriately. Yeah. More um, sensitively. So Displayed. We know that this was, was kind of... displayed in his office. It was displayed. Uh, it was kind of a symbol of just Lane's inability to win, I guess. Um and then it ultimately was hanging next to him as he died and I think hung himself. Symbols so many things. How much Lane loved America. Sure. How much yeah. that he personally sacrificed for the firm. Um, and a lot of this applies to Don. It, and the fact that Don, yeah, he, how much he sweat and bled, ultimately meaning nothing. I mean, Don mm-hmm. surely remembers how he fairly callously turned him out oh, yeah. to the cold. And it forced him to resign. And now Don has made uh, a a mistake on that order order of magnitude as far as selfish heirs. And sure, you know, uh, and he's he's in the process of being pushed out of this company. Yes. In fact, what Bert says later on is unbelievably cruel. We'll get to that when we get there. But Mm -hmm. um, I think there's so much you can. uh Oh, (laughs) Oh, don't don't so much. You can pin pin on this pin it. Okay. Uh, and, man, the wiener is like, I don't uh, – he's probably not even aware of all the things you could put on there. Sure. But uh, it's powerful, powerful symbolism, powerful so, metaphor. Then we have a partner's meeting about Burger Chef, Pete's new account. Uh, his meeting with George earlier paid off apparently. Uh, Pete, the king of fish and chips, as Cutler calls him. <laughs> you mean Ted? Ted's the king of fish and chips. No, I thought Pete was the king of fish and chips. Uh, I thought he said, "Ted, we know you're the king of fish and chips, but we need you to. Oh, we need you to maybe bring he's this, talking about Ted. Bring this back to the office, kind of like I know you're the master of this kind of stuff, but we need you here to lead on this one." And uh, hmm. Ted's like, "Nope, not ra- wrapping me, roping me back into that bullshit." It's weird because Pete kind of takes all the credit though, because I, he later on says, "Let's see him give that to Bob Benson." Why is that weird? Well, if Ted is the king of fish and chips. Well, Ted would be the head of create. So, so, so Pete is running very the account. Clear, yes, Pete's the account Ted man, and then there's a on... separate creative, and that's always been okay. There's no competition on that. The competition yeah, yeah. is on 
the account side. I guess I didn't realize that Ted was the creative side. Oh, of, yeah. He's a creative director. Of California. Yeah. Okay. In fact, that's what I the thought joke. they were roughly similar. That's what the joke when Harry Crane said. We actually have three creative directors now. Yeah, yeah. He does make that later. <laughs> uh, so apparently H-Salt is the company that they're going with, and that's just a, a big chain started in California. Um, shit. The name of the city starts with an S, and I can't remember it. Uh, Sausalito, California. Uh, and it still goes to this day, apparently. There are a lot of uh, – it seems like a U.K. thing. Isn't that though. where the whale – the 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 whale museum where Kirk got all of his whales in Star Trek Four? Probably, yeah. Sausalito? So it could be. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, I, I also like Pete's comment about – Peggy here and says, oh, it'd be nice to have a woman's point of view or whatever Peggy counts as. Uh (laughs) What the hell, Pete? That's Pete, Peggy is a woman. Why do you think they put her on Virginia Slim? That's – but still, it's – It's Pete. It's more indicative of Pete Pete than Peggy. Well, on all the guys, the way they think of her is still in those terms. Oh, we got something that's, you know, got, got the vague whiff of vagina. Throw Peggy on it. Yeah, uh, I mean, Lou comes out of this. He's very unhappy that Don is being put to work at all. Um, as we'll see later in the episode, I think I think Lou giving Peggy the position is direct, uh, I guess, insubordination. Or, wow. or at least he doesn't see it. Or at least he doesn't see it that way. But they tell him to put Don to work. Well, I and see. And it's implied that. Don should lead this, I think. I feel like that we're seeing an elaborate buck passing process, and Peggy just yeah. ran out of people that she could pass the buck to. Because sure. Cutler's like, you know, Lou went to him and be like, what the hell? Thought we had an understanding. And he's like, hey, you know what? He either craters or you get some good work out of it. Yeah. You know, he washed his hands of his previous agreement. Lou then went to Peggy and said, hey, you got a promotion. Catches. Don's on your team. He washed his hands on it. There's nothing Peggy could do uh, except for sign, sure. except for tell Ginsburg he's the head creative on the account. Hey, get Don Draper involved. <laughs> Ask him for some. I mean, like, yeah. there's there's only so many people she could pass the buck on down to. Yeah, but I thought when when Lou appointed Peggy as the head of that project, that that was kind of a flip flop. Like they wanted Don to be the head of it because they they mentioned Peggy in the meeting. I thought no. And I then thought they that say, was... but and then Pete says, "Don't you think we should put Don to work instead?" Right, and then maybe there's the the pro Don assumption is that he'd be a creative director and she'd be reporting to him. Yeah, but I think the anti Don that's the not. Lou I mean, that that was certainly perception. wasn't spelled out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I I agree. He could he could interpret it that way to put Peggy in charge and really just stick it to Don. Uh, so then Roger sees his grandson in the office. Um, and his ex-wife is waiting for him and tells him, oh, that, whoa, whoa, we missed, I'm not, I mean, I know I'm not the one leading this, but we missed a pretty big 2001 reference during oh, the phone yeah, yeah, call. In the meeting. Roger mentions that he's been off in his cave for three weeks now, uh, which gives us a big clue on the time frame, and yep. he hasn't killed another monkey or any of the other apes. Yeah. yeah. Which is, you know, so, open 2001 reference. Yep. Um, then Roger sees his grandson, his ex-wife, Mona is there, tells him that uh, her their daughter has gone upstate with a religious cult. Or a hippie commune, if you want to put it uh, put it uh, in nicer terms. It, it well, that's, feel... that's, I think, her direct quote is religious cult. Yeah, but then the her husband came in and said it's a, hippie, it's a commune. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I think there's definitely a difference between there, and I feel like this, in fact, was a commune, not a cult. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Um, that, that's just not how Mona sees it. Okay. Um, there's interesting. I we might talk about it later. I think it's on the drive where they find out that Brooks has gone to jail, or or no, it's it's before that. That's what mm-hmm. causes them to drive up there. Right. Uh, but I guess we can talk about that later. Uh, there, there's a lot of stuff in here. I think that explains Roger and who he is. Um, they're talking about his daughter, and and Mona says that she's a perverse child who only thinks of herself. I think that very much applies to Roger as well. And oh, we will she see. Knows it. Yes, she absolutely knows it, and we will see later on um, the kind of parallels drawn between these two characters. Mm-hmm. Um, my my only question, I guess, is when she says that, does she see? Does Roger see his daughter in himself? Does Roger acknowledge that he is kind of the man who turned her into what she is? I don't know that he's willing to accept that at this point but by okay. the end of the episode he 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 comes around to there okay i feel there's like there's a knowing look where i think that he starts to think about that yeah i feel like that this has been an evolution started when he uh you know became a grandfather then became a father again and was kind of rebuffed by both women about like we don't really want you involved in these people's lives and he started thinking well why not yeah, I'm a great guy, and now <laughs> this is furthering. You know, this is another little uh, wedge that you that you're slipping into the crack in his mind. That you know, uh, this is something that I've enabled. This is some Greek tragedy that is is it's too late for me to escape from or to even get help my daughter. And in fact, it's now stretching third generations because Ellery's bound to grow up with this as an example. Yeah. So it's like that that all hitting at once has got to be a mind fuck. Yeah, and I mean like you said Roger Roger all but abandoned his daughter. I mean he was off working doing his own thing, very selfish man. We certainly know from her perspective that's what it felt like and I'm Absolutely. sure it did. I'm not ready. I mean, I'm not impressed with uh, Marigold here. Um Sure. But, she but she's is, doing the exact same thing. She is the product that Roger designed. In, the, sure. in a large way, and, and her her mother too. So, speaking of design products, Don here's uh, Harry and the IBM guy outside. They're they're talking while they watch the computer being uh, the the creative lounge being prepped for the computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy's name is Lloyd Holly. Lloyd Holly. I don't know how you say that. Um, I love I love the cinematography work here, where they showed Don in between his two kind of opaque. Uh, uh, windows as like Harry and Lloyd laid siege to his office with all this loud construction noise and they're talking very loud. Uh-huh. And it's clear that you, you know, he wasn't going to get any work done. I just thought it was yeah. a really beautiful way to establish that shot. Okay, cool. Uh, this guy's from Lease Tech. They are the company who's installing the computer. Um, they're talking in the hall. Don goes out and joins them. Um, there's, there's a line here from Harry who says, I'm sorry you lost your lunchroom. It's not symbolic. And Don says it's very literal. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I, I I think that serves two purposes. I think, one, it serves the purpose of telling the audience that maybe we're overanalyzing things a little bit. I don't know. But it also serves the purpose of telling us, look, the the plot laid out here is a very literal one. This computer in my opinion, is sweeping away the old world here, the old 
uh, I guess, regime making way for a new one, which Harry is part of. And Don is not. Yeah, I I feel like the wiener likes to have his cake and eat it, too. Uh-huh. He likes to tell us that, hey, we're taking things too literal or you guys are running up on a tangent. and But then he also likes to layer this stuff on, and he also likes to leave a lot to our imagination. I can think of at least three examples of things where it's very much open to interpretation, and he's like, well, it should have been obvious. I intended mm-hmm. it to be obvious. It's like, well, then you did a bad job, dude. So, <laughs> yeah, I definitely think this was a almost fourth wall breaking incident. There's yeah. a wink at the audience. All right. There's also another thing that comes right after that where Harry is talking about Tim Conway and this variety show that he put on. I looked it up. It's a variety show called Turn On. Um, and you had a little bit more information about this. Yeah. I, I, Alan Seppenwald talked a little bit about it in his review, and I did some research on the internet. But apparently it was a television show where the conceit was a computer mm-hmm. was programming the, the sketches. Okay. And I guess, I mean, I have a hard time in visualizing, and the show lasted for like, uh, I, I think Tim Conway. Harry says 11 minutes. <laughs> yeah, Tim Conway, I think he made a joke on the Carson show about it, about that the, they basically were canceling it as they were filming the first episode. <laughs> okay. But I envision it working like that one South Park episode where they showed the Family Guy's writer room. And it was just a bunch of manatees selecting oh, yeah. various verbs. Pushing and, balls and, with their and, nose. Yeah, yeah. And, and nouns. And that was the this, the way I, – I guess that's the conceit is the robot would just put – or the computer would just put together random sketch ideas. Like a Mad Lib sort of thing. Yeah, or like whose line is it anywhere where they just grab random topics. I Again, there's no, there's no footage you can find of it, and there's very scant yeah. evidence. But I, I, I just think that uh, – you know, the fact that this computer can't do the comedy and it directly led to a show being canceled or at least a big contributing factor and yeah. how everyone kind of feels about computers at this time. Because computers, um, even though they've led to these huge productivity gains, they've also led to a lot of people losing their jobs. Yeah, and, and the, the creativity of... has been kind of sucked out of the process. And I, I think there's a value to that, and we, we see that in the cancellation of this show. One of the big like, themes— Just a computer can't do it all. One of the big themes of 2001 is the fear of automated processes taking over uh, yeah. human judgment. And it ultimately manifests in how Being destroying, destroying the space station and killing these people. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, so I think there's, you know, there's a lot of that fear in this episode. There's also—I um, yeah, mean, we've kind of come to understand— you know, 50 years from then that computers need to be synthesized with humans and their creativity and, and a way to do that. And in this time, they don't have that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we're approaching that. We're, I don't certainly don't think we're there yet, but you look at things like smartphones, they're much more user-friendly than a mainframe from IBM in the 60s. Oh, sure. But still, I think there's a lot of horror to be mined by run-amuck computers oh, yeah. and robotics. I, in fact... We talked. We I'm have a, an episode about this, the prime intellect discussion. Oh yeah, the big, the big uh, old blue yonder days where we talk about that and the singularity. I'm still a yeah. big believer. I think it's inevitable. Yeah, I'm with you. I think so. Uh, which, if you don't know what we're talking about, it's way. Uh, like I said, we have a blue yonder episode, which I'm not even sure how you would find at this point. <laughs> Search for prime intellect, you'll find it. But no, I don't want to send people off reading that book. It's a, it's a fucking sick piece of fiction. Sure. Uh, but inspired pretty, an interesting conversation. Pretty interesting, and also the singularity. If you if you if you Google uh, the technological singularity, you'll find out about that theory. If you're sure. interested in more, I'm giving you homework. I'm giving our listeners homework. 
uh, there's a, a small moment at the end of the scene where Peggy comes out of her office and Don kind of sees her and retreats. Um, I, I don't know what their beef is at this point. I mean, I, at least Don's beef with Peggy would be where he would see her and not be interested in being outside of his office. <laughs> but, I mean, later on, we obviously know what happens. Okay, what now? I'm lost. Uh, there's just a moment. Peggy comes out of her office. Don sees her, and he's like, oh, got to go into my office. Got to okay. get away and close the door. Uh, but but nothing has really happened between, like, from Don's side yet that he would be pissed at Peggy, so I don't know what that's about. I think it was more like, so this was right after she found out that she was being head of Burger King? Burger no, this is before it. Okay, Next never scene mind. is the Burger okay, Chef all thing. right, good, never mind. So the next scene, Lou gives Peggy a raise, puts her in charge of the Burger Chef account. And of course, he gave her the raise in the biggest asshole way possible. What do you mean? That whole speech about, I see myself as a leader. and Part of leader is doling out <laughs> discipline, but also... You know, yeah. recognizing which should I be prepared for? Yeah, it's like, come on, man. Oh God, Peggy, you've done a great job. Here's a, here's a raise. Uh, so then, after you know, Don, uh, Peggy's given this raise. She calls Don into uh, her office along with Mathis, who I never knew this guy's name. Didn't really I, care I, until I now. I, I still don't. Okay, he's going to have to do something besides mourn the death of creative before I pay attention. But she makes it apparent that Don will be working under her, and he is pissed. Dude, uh, we we got to slow down here. Okay, my my, my head was exploding mm-hmm. from this time Luke called Peggy into his office to the resolution of this. Like I, yes. and it was like one thing after another. It's like Peggy, like the full implication of her, you know, being assigned Don sunk in and yeah. then she starts to go in his office and then she goes out i'm like oh my god she's ducking she's afraid of don mm-hmm. and then oh no she's summoning him and what a power play yeah and then at first i thought don was going to gonna play ball and he's like what's the strategy and then she totally just fucking lou avery'd him yeah and that's when the you know the veins popped out on john Han's forehead and his eyes shot out six inches <laughs> it was that that was a look. Yeah, I, it doesn't take him throwing a typewriter against the window for me to understand what he's feeling. Right. Uh, it takes him opening a door, for instance. The way he fucking oh. they they both stand up. Uh, Mathis goes in for the handshake. He's that, already halfway out the door. That meeting was not over. I I mean, it was over. It's when you're called into someone's office, the meeting's not over until they're like, "Okay, that's it." You know. I thought she did that, but maybe not. Nah, he she was still wanting to say like, you know, congratulations and all that, and Don's like, "Fuck it," you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mathis was going in for that. Yeah, clear insubordination. I also like the thing where Mathis kind of starts glancing over at Don, you know, uh, to talk about the, the taglines or something, and sees the look that he's given Peggy, and's like, "Nope, not meeting that glance." Yeah, not directing I'll... that withering barrage over my direction. So I, I think it becomes apparent here that this is an obvious plot to drive Don out of the company. Oh, sure. It's yet it's it's another. Uh, there's the there's the pro Don and the anti Don contingent, and yeah. the anti Don contingent is very much. Which surprise? You know, it's kind of surprising to make up. Pete isn't pro Don. Yeah, um, but it has very I, little say. I think from Ted's out of California. pro Don. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, Roger is pro Don. That's it. Yeah. Everybody Peggy, else is anti Don. Peggy, Joan, uh, Cutler, obviously Lou, Bert, even Bert. I thought Bert was kind of Switzerland in this whole thing. No, no, not at all. He tells him to go fuck himself. And yes, no uncertain terms. Um, yeah, it, it's weird here too, because I mean, Peggy is just caught in the crossfire of this struggle 
once again, like she was last season with Don and Ted, she's caught in the crossfire of the Cutler Don struggle, I guess. Is if you want to make it just really concise, that's where she is. You know, the one thing that took in reason another reason my head was exploding is because as I talked last week, I thought very certain that we were geared up for Don to fight this yeah. glorious war against Lou and, you know, street fight and, you know, within the bounds of his contract, but he had a plan for domination. Yeah. We found out this episode that was not true at all. Nope. That Jimi Hendrix song was a was a blatant red herring. <laughs> and it's quite obvious that the only thing he can do by the end of this episode is to knuckle down and, like Freddie says, do the work. And do you think – because Peggy is mad at him for a lot of reasons that we've talked about in last week's show and everything. If If Don does knuckle down and does the work, it's going to be almost impossible for her to stay mad at him. Sure. If he humbles himself and does yeah. this work for her, we know Don's brilliant. We know mm-hmm. what he's capable of. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, and, and him she, versus Mathis. Just like Don. Like, <laughs> Don, at the end of the day, admires and respects the work that people do above all else. Yeah. I feel like Peggy's cut from the same cloth. Yeah, I mean, that's the reason she hired Ginsburg in the first place, right? They were both very impressed with his work. That's why he's there. Mm-hmm. So, Definitely. Uh, I want to talk a little bit, very briefly, about Burger Chef, um, mostly because I found that it was founded in Indianapolis, Indiana, which has been my hometown for 20-plus years at this point, mm-hmm. uh, in 1954, and then later bought out by Hardee's, which I, people on the West Coast may not even know what the fuck Hardee's is. Think Carl's Jr. It is. Because they are They're... owned by the same company. They right. just have different logos. Uh, almost identical food as well. Uh, so a little bit about, a little bit about Burger Chef. Um there next episode or I next loved scene Bur- i i when i was a kid burger <laughs> chef was my favorite franchise yeah it must have been when you were like a kid a kid no no the I, very last one closed in 96 yeah i don't well i'm a lot i was graduating high school in 95 yeah so. but you got to think the last yeah, one yeah, yeah, closed no. like where i remember when it? it cut over but i i remember that burger burger chef was always my favorite place to go in town and they always they wrapped their hamburgers in these little plastic sandwich bags <laughs> okay. the Burger Chef logo. And I don't know why, but that Cost like... cutting. Huh? <laughs> Cost cutting. Well, yeah, but it, it kept the sandwich. I mean, the bread was always nice and soft, and it huh. felt like the meat was juicy. You know, sometimes you get that paper wrap shit from McDonald's, and, well, first of all, it's McDonald's, but... Yeah. Well, these are chefs. Know. These are burger chefs yes. making your food. Yes. With the emphasis on the cleanliness of the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> so the next morning, Don comes in on time this time, uh, and Roger's pleased. Then he gets a message that Brooks is in jail. Roger does. Yeah, we, we get the idea that Roger is his brother's keeper. Oh, yeah. Like, he... He doesn't want Don to fail. Yeah, if, if Don's going to fail, he wants to be the first to know about it so he can hopefully manage the consequences. That's how I yeah. felt him checking in. And it's, it's funny because it's probably annoying to Roger because now Roger has to be on time. <laughs> yeah, and Roger has kind of staked his reputation in a way on Don. He a little very bit. vigorously defended him last episode. Huge power play for him. Yeah, he's sticking his neck out as well. He doesn't want Don to fail at this. Um, we find out that his son-in-law is fucking failing, though, because Brooks is in jail, got arrested. Later on, we find it's after beating a couple of rednecks in like three hours after he left the commune. I'm with Roger. You should have beat the hippies. Yeah. 
Yeah, the hippies would have put up less of a fight. I'm You've sure. You've been in jail. Uh, yeah, <laughs> judging by how they held, uh, how they treated Roger. Yeah, you can't take your daughter, man. Man, your heart's in her vibe, man. <laughs> Why can't we just love one? Sorry, another? Sorry, I know we have a lot of former hippies, pro- potentially current hippies, who are, are listening to our show. So, not disparaging hippies. You let an elderly gentleman they're... throw. One of the members of your commune over his shoulder and drag him away, and all you can uh-huh. do is like form a loose, non-threatening drum circle around him. Yeah, yeah. Weak sauce. <laughs> Weak sauce. Agreed. Uh, so Mathis then goes to get Don for the Burger Chef meeting. He says he's not coming. Fuck your meeting. I don't need any part of that. Did um, you like the delicious irony of Don playing solitaire while one of the first computers is being installed? Yeah, yeah, it's really it's uh, just showing. I think the disparity between Don. I was going with the Windows Solitaire, you know. Oh, oh, saying yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That eventually, people will play this game on these computers. Right, he could he he could have been playing Minesweeper. Sure, but I I saw it yeah, to serve the purpose skiing. of showing the difference between Don and this new computer age that's coming. Okay. Don is playing a very analog game in this digital, quickly becoming digital world. Um, I, I noticed that strip, strip solitaire. Yeah, yeah. You just couldn't see uh, Meredith in the corner there. <laughs> no, I know Solo. He was oh, solo. he was not wearing <laughs> pants in that scene. <laughs> just for one frame, you had to catch it okay. underneath the desk. But yeah, he was he was losing badly to himself. Uh, when Mathis comes in to tell Peggy about you know Don not coming to the meeting, Peggy is standing up, looking out the window with her back turned, arms crossed, just like Lou did. When she walked in to get her "quote unquote" uh-huh. promotion, yep, is uh, we know that Peggy does take things from her, uh, her I guess superiors in this instance in, in the hierarchy. She's the Walter uh, White of advertising. Yeah, she she takes traits. I mean, she uh-huh. takes things. She's stolen Don's entire pitches before, sure, um, and used them against him. Maybe she's taken this from Lou. I don't know. Could be. We'll see. Um, anyway, so Roger and Mona are driving out to see their daughter with, uh, without getting Brooks out of jail first. They're going to let him stew a little bit. Wise, wise decision. I think that's good. He's clearly very mad about the situation with um, Marigold, and they don't want to take him over there again. Uh, his, his wife, Mona, thinks that Roger's treating his daughter like a client at the end of the scene. Um, or, sorry, no, it's not this scene. It's another scene. It's in the future. Okay, we'll leave that for later. Um, the IBM guy comes into Don's office to ask if advertising works, and Don goes to see Bert about pitching lease tech after talking with Holly. This this Bert's Lloyd dude, it looks so much like Captain Marvel from the DC universe. It hurts. He would be. I was trying to find, figure out where I knew him from, and I feel like I do know him. Like they, they 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 could do. I mean, if if he if they get or ever get around to making this damn Justice League movie, they ought to cast him because he looks so much like Captain Marvel. It's unbelievable. Huh. Yeah, it's weird. He he seems to have the same sort of superficiality about him that some of these characters do. I don't know. It's, it's like a smile or something that just. A lot of people overly. A lot of people drew parallels between him and Rust from True Detective. And that they both were spouting what? this really weird cosmic bullshit, but his was like super 
uh, kind of optimistic and explaining people's fear and all. And, and Rust was always the opposite. He was more pessimist. No, you didn't get any of that? no I'm not feeling any of that vibe. Okay. Because <laughs> again, it's not, it's, and, it's not a difference of degree. It's a difference of kind, but I, I, I can, I can see him hmm. like if Rust were a computer technician slash entrepreneur, he would say some of this bullshit. Do you make anything of the conversation that they had uh, in Don's office when he sits down and asks if advertising works? And then Don basically runs a pitch on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the end, he, he says, well, the your competition doesn't have advertising. Right. No, I think uh, it's like, yeah, I mean, he demonstrated its effectiveness by doing it to the guy. It's brilliant Don Draper. Yeah, and I, I feel like... You know, like I talked about earlier with the synthesis, fuck, I can't say that word, of uh, computers and creative here, Don is trying to demonstrate that role. Like, yeah, your competition may have computers just like you do, but do they have the creativity necessary to really capture people's hearts and minds? And that's that's something that's vital to the success of these companies. Right. Um, there's also a line, I mean, when he goes to see Bert, and Bert just you know, sets him straight about his new role in the company and what they intended. Um, the Bert gives him a line about him inhabiting a dead man's office. I mean, that that's <laughs> very, can, can we stop mentioning all of the death references now for Don? Has, yeah. Have there been enough that we can just say, okay, Don is likely to die. They're going to keep hammering this point home as they have been for seasons now. Yeah, but again, it's, I think that it's he keeps twisting himself in knots because we have this whole yeah thing about how you know computers are a metaphor for people and whether things are metaphor or literal. So like, there's metaphorical deaths you can experience. Sure, and, metaphorical and I think it works on both levels. And yeah, yeah, I mean, certainly here, it's not just saying that Don himself as a human being is going to perish. I think it's also his kind mm. perishing, um, or, or at least having a diminished role, mm. as he does in the company now. Um, there's also a scene at the end where Don steals Roger's vodka and goes in his office to drink it in clear violation of his new rules. Um, Did not like this part of the episode. Why not? Uh, I'm, I, let me say that. I did not like what I was seeing. I like this part of the episode, but I okay. was really outraged that Don was. I was kind of like, the, uh, it's foolish. Yeah, I was Freddie Rumsening him. I'm like, are you so you just want to kill yourself? Yeah, you're gonna fucking fall on your sword and give these people what they want. It's yep. outrageous to me because again, I want to see Don fight. God damn it. Yeah, I'm with you. And and by the end, I think he does, but we'll get there. Uh, Roger and Mona show up at the commune, and Mona tries to convince her daughter to return home, but she won't go. And Mona leaves, but Roger sticks around. Uh, this is kind of where, you know, Mona tries to talk some sense into her daughter. She can't. And then Roger is kind of, uh, you know, showing a little more patience than Mona is. And she says, are you going to find stick around wine and dine the account? Is that what Roger's doing here? Or does he have some sort of understanding into his daughter's perspective that Mona may not? I think the latter. In fact, that's an open question about, whether he always intended to drag her off in the morning. Yes, that's why I ask. Or whether it was so uncomfortable to watch her, you know, put her own her own pleasures and um, indulgences in front of her family and, and reminded see it him reflected so much in and, and, and him know that what a mistake that was now and, and yeah. how, you know, 
he's how that's it's cost him. I mean, we saw him on the psych- psychologist office that, uh, you know, that's that's yeah, brought him a lot of, of pain in his life. This this Playboy stuff, mm-hmm. um, his selfishness. I mean, that's what it really comes yeah, down to. Yeah. Like, I, I really don't. It, it's it's an open question to me whether he was because there's a lot of me that says that I think that he was attracted to this way of life. Yeah, I think that his experiences with drugs have taught him something that's been lasting. I don't think he's completely forgotten everything he learned from that experience. Sure. And I I think the idea that he smokes weed in this episode is supposed to tell us that that has had an effect on him and that he can understand a little bit better what these people are talking about than Mona. I mean, I joked on Facebook that I could totally see him joining this cult and taking it over like Marlon Brando <laughs> in Apocalypse Now. And uh, then Don is like Martin Sheen. He has to go up the river to bring him back. That um, would be awesome. Yeah. Because that's the way Roger would do it. He mm-hmm. would be like, wow, this is really great. There's no hierarchy. Let me know. I'm going to put a hierarchy and start running this shit. Oh, there's always a hierarchy, as he says. Always a hierarchy. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, he totally can see how this is something that he would do. And yeah. in fact... He did whatever the 40s equivalent was. I mean, he threw himself into his career and, you know, drank to excess and fucked to excess and yeah. indulged everything at the expense of his family. And now she's doing the 60s and 70s equivalent of that. And he can't judge her, but he's also going to be damned if he just sits and lets it happen. Yeah. Uh, speaking of drinking in excess, Don wakes up drunk in his office and he calls Freddie. And they he wants to go to a game. Take me out to the ball game, he says. Yep. Uh, then we go back to Roger, who peels potatoes and smokes some dynamite grass. Dynamite. Uh, this is where he talks about the hierarchy. There's always a hierarchy. Then Freddy shows up at Don's office and helps him leave because he is incapable of it himself. Mm-hmm. Don, leaning in, Don leaning in, saying, ball game. <laughs> yeah. So funny. John Hamm uh, is very funny, dude. We're out for the day. Very out. Yeah. <laughs> So hilarious. Yeah, and it really, I mean, he's showing his comedy chops. And Meredith constantly throwing herself at Don is, uh-huh. hil- is hilarious, too. How yeah, was your I weekend? Mean, Wouldn't you like to know? And just, it's very funny. Don is obviously very drunk. Meredith does not seem to take notice, or if she does, doesn't point it out. I don't know which it is here. Meredith's level of consciousness is one that I don't quite recognize. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm with you there. You know, um, there's like, you, you meet people and you're like... Not sure you should have your rights stripped and have to be forced to live in a home, but it's debatable. <laughs> Meredith okay. is right there, and like I just don't understand what's going on in your head, girl. She's a fairly competent secretary, as far as I can tell. Right? Yeah. Has she let Peggy down? Has she let Don down in any way? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it. Otherwise, she'd be out the door. Peggy but, would but be requesting a new secretary Like, again. when you meet people like that, it's like, how have you not been eaten by a wild animal? Yeah, yeah. Or forgot forgot how you got back to your apartment, or... It wandered onto the subway tracks or something. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's, it seems the, the success you're experiencing in life seems far removed from... Uh, the understanding you have of the world. Sure. Uh, there at the end of this scene is a conversation between Don and Holly while they are, while Holly is kind of watching, supervising them, putting in the new computer. Uh, I'm going to read verbatim what he says here. He says, 
uh, Holly says, I didn't hear you um, when he says something to him and then, or when he comes in and then Don says, no, I didn't hear you. You talk like a friend, but you're not. I know your name. You go by many names. I know who you are. You don't need a campaign. You've had or got, I can't tell what he says there, the best campaign since the dawn of time. Um, dawn of time being another reference to 2001 Space Odyssey. We know that it starts with the, the dawn of intelligence, I guess, mm-hmm. um, which which would be a, a marking stone and kind of human progression, obviously. Um, there's also, I guess, I mean, when he says you go by many names, I know who you are, um, and I know your name, he's, in some ways, I feel like referring to him as the devil. The devil also, also in literature has many names. Um, we got a lot been of kind we, of a chameleon. We got a little bit, not a lot, a little bit of feedback asking kind of like, is there a devil reference? I took it as a reference to him being a whore, but I actually think the okay. devil, um, and not just the devil, you, you go back to any mythological tempter that offers forbidden knowledge or power. That's, that's the crux with, of it, right? Prometheus with power. He's not calling him Lucifer. He's not calling him the, the snake in the garden. He's calling him the core of it, what he really is, which is the tempter, like you said. Satan with the apple. Yes. In fact... But many things. Don mentions that in relation to his conversation with Bert. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the the apples there on the tree. Did, or he says something like that. Someone just needs to pick it. It doesn't even have to be me. Yeah, I think so. Um, the definitely said, a lot of people thought that was a sly reference to you know Apple taking over from IBM. Eh, maybe, but but I also like the fact that it's the kind of the original sin versus the forbidden knowledge, and even uh, you know Lloyd <laughs> uh, Satan's first name is Lloyd. Turns out <laughs> Lloyd Satan also makes the uh, case too that this is about infinite capacity infinite information yeah um and how that's it's such a huge temptation for humans but it's also scary so and i think it's ultimately unattainable as well it I mean, seems, the infinite is is very specifically out of the grasp of human beings it it seems a little bit over the top for don to make the speech like sure it's hard for me to grasp that he's that drunk he is very drunk. You can, I don't think I've ever seen Don this drunk. Do you think? Okay, so and still functional. Some people on Facebook were debating whether this he was in fact that drunk. Oh, he is very that drunk. Or was he just play? Because we've never seen him that drunk and out of control and acting like this no. foolish character. Um, we've seen him drunk before, but do, so you don't think it was him playing up and just not hoping to get fired? Absolutely not. No, okay. I don't think he's hoping he was, to get fired. He's rebelling, he's certainly. The he's playing solitaire. He's not going to meetings. But he's, I think, saying, you can't fire me. You've got no cause. Like, I may have to play by your rules, but I also don't have to do any work. Well, the drinking is a very clear violation of that, though. Sure, and I think he's trying to hide that. Mm. I don't think he's no, drinking. Well. I mean, he hides it under his coat, takes it to his office. He's not blatant about drinking. But if he's you get hiding that- it. Uh, okay, so I agree. If you get that drunk, that was a mistake, and that was caused by his outrage at being placed under Peggy. I've had this conversation with former friends mm-hmm. where they get totally smashed in 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 circumstances where the consequences of getting smashed could be catastrophic, and then yeah. they want to proclaim innocence. Like I can't be held responsible for the fact that I did stupid things when I was drunk that didn't I, I felt I got consequences for. Sure. My retort is, but you got blackout drunk in a circumstances where you could 
you know, you weren't in the privacy of your home, you weren't in a company of friends. Yeah. You fucking get high and then go into work, or you get slammed and go into work, or get behind the wheel of a car. You've already fucked up. You should know better, and Don does know yeah, like, better because he hides the bottle. He knows and, and what he's, he's doing he's is against terms. He's drinking out of the Coke can. Yep. You know, uh, and he's drinking the vodka because, again, it was like water. That, to me, says he knows better. He he wants to hide it, but he's so mad Dude, you, that at that moment he's got to go get a drink. I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to kind of – it's hard for me because I'm – such you know, I know I sound probably like a madman, a madman on podcasts a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually very careful in my personal life, mm-hmm. and doing something like that without a safety net is so far outside my performance envelope that I, I feel like you know when I see Don doing something, it's like I look over the edge of a cliff and then I get this dizzy. Like this is just insane. But you have to understand the psyche of Don. Don's crutch is alcohol to sure. a large degree. I mean, look what happened when he doesn't have Megan around. I, so I He's guess, sitting in his underwear drinking all day. I guess my question, and it's not even a disagreement with you, is is he really hiding his drinking? He's trying to. I don't think he's doing a very good job because he's drunk. How do you hide that? But deep down, is he really hiding his drinking or is he just going through the motions? I mean, I know this is a very – Play almost Plato's cave type of like you know, you know yeah. Can you say for sure that he is? Yeah, is this this metacognitive argument of like which... it's a subconscious thing okay, in his okay. mind if right. if that's at all the case. All right, okay. I will not say it's not there. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, but I mean, I, Don is obviously calling this guy the temptation and and kind of the devil in one form or another. And Don's that's how Don sees the computer age coming in. Uh, it's pushing him out of the way. All right. So. Definitely a lot of interesting symbolism and metaphor just in that conversation. And For sure. So so the uh, another thing is then, for God's sakes, well, let's move on. I yeah. just thought even as drunk as he is, it's, it seemed unlikely that he would almost hallucinate and accuse this guy of being the devil. I guess uh, when you're that drunk, when though, you're that drunk, you, who can say? Yeah, you're you're just the machine on autopilot. People do far crazier things. That's true. When that's that drunk. True. But like, man, that is so such. I mean, at that point when he's brought up the specter of this is could be new business. Yeah. Now yeah. he's openly violating two principles. Well, Bert basically told him to go fuck himself. Yeah, but when so, he brought up the idea. If if Bert wanted to list that as a charge against him, he totally would, though. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. Uh, anything to get Don out at this I, point, I think. Man, I, I feel like we didn't discuss that enough, too. I was outraged at Bert's reaction. Yeah. Because, again, I've always trusted Bert. Like, you might be a racist old coot. Yep. That likes Japanese tentacle porn on his office. Sure. But I always thought that he respected the power of the almighty dollar. That when... When you had dollars and cents, that he would mm-hmm. do the things that make dollars and make sense. Yeah, Don took his shoes off. What more do you want? He's bringing in something so I, that could bring in uh, infinite yeah. bucks. You know, like the, getting in at the ground floor of computers. Yeah, it'd, Holy it'd be shit. massive. And and Bert just doesn't care. Yeah, like he can still humiliate Don by in and. I, I just, like his speech was a non sequitur. Don's not riding to the creative rescue. This isn't business. Yeah, this is he doesn't even shit. want in on the account. No, like I, that's not what Don's after here. It, but it's more important for for Bert to slap Don around. So the only saving grace I see here for Bert and his reaction is that he sees Don as a liability. I mean, I realize that Don is kind of 
you know, handing this to him and then stepping back and saying, I don't need to be part of this. But, but anything coming from Don at this point feels like Don trying to get back into the company and Bert wants him out desperately. He sees him as a liability. So we talked about Don being like a nuke and you, you don't want that nuke to go to the other side. Sure. Yeah. So their, their response is we're going to get this and we're going to bury it under the Yucca mountain and will never be seen again. So it won't, it won't go to Mary Wells, but we also are not going to ever use it. Hmm. We're just going to bury it. Yeah. In yeah, a it, I mean, it's sarcophagus. a weird reaction. You're right. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense business wise to just turn down a client because Don is the one who brought like it. I to said, you. I mean, it's not out of his character to scold Don like a little boy. Yeah, it's not out of his character to be kind of this haughty and all that. But I just thought that the one thing I always knew is that he would be the guy that runs down the money. He's the one that is you know ran down that very small check that the bonus check that. Uh, uh, Lane wrote himself. He's always been concerned with the the bottom line, and for him to, yeah, I don't know. I feel like maybe there's more to that. Like that's what he would say to Don. But then when the next partner meeting get together, hmm. he's going to bring up new business. Yeah, although, so they can just so Don's not part of the partner meetings now either. He's not being called for him. No, and I mean look at the meeting with Pete and Ted over the phone about Burger Chef. Who gets Don's gone? Who gets the his vote? Uh. I don't know who gets his vote. I wonder if they would have to call on him if there was some kind of, like, very close vote. I mean, who knows what the partnership agreement is because you can yeah. basically make it say anything you want. So Sure, Don may not get a vote. He may just own part of the company. Mm. You know? There's that option, too. He may or, not be a managing member. Or maybe that it would have to be a closer vote before his vote would actually mean anything so they exactly. don't ever ask him. Yep. Okay. Uh, so then Peggy snaps at Joan for stopping in on her, in her office on her way out, and she complains about working with Don. And this is kind of the first time in the episode we really see it laid out that Peggy understands what they're doing with Don. Um, she she understands she is caught in the middle of this game between Don and the executives. I, I think Peggy sees it very clearly. And the yes. line about, like, you know, this might not make you feel any better, but I don't think they think about you in, in this situation at all. Yeah. Um, they don't. It's just a passing of the buck. And first of all, Joan looks amazing in that green dress. Holy moly. Joan always looks amazing. Yeah, but I mean, especially <laughs> like that's like that's weird that they don't put her in like that green contrasting her blue eyes and red hair more often. Yeah. She looks like she looks fantastic. Um, and she's right on. And I like the relationship that she has with Peggy. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I, I'm glad that their professional tiff didn't last beyond last episode. Yeah. I mean, they, she's always been kind of a mentor to Peggy. I mean, even from the first days where Peggy was hired as a secretary. Yeah. She's like, as a typist in a different way than Dawn was. Yeah. Um, it, it felt like a more nurturing relationship than Dawn was giving her. Hmm. <laughs> well, sure, sure. But Dawn was like more <laughs> what you need to survive in the business world. And, yes. And Joan thought, I think, Joan thought she knew how you, the world works if you're a woman in business, and I think that she's actually had a bit of an education to learn some things from Peggy along the way. Definitely. It's been a neat symbi- symbiosis. So we go back to the commune, and it's nighttime. Roger and his daughter are laying under the stars and talking. Um, his daughter would like to go to the moon. It's another 2001 reference here. I mean, we, we got it earlier with the moon from Lloyd, and now we, they hit it really home again. Um, 
it's interesting to me, and I think this is the visual parallel that we need between these two characters to really understand um, the cycle here of Roger creating his daughter the way that she is. They are both laying in the exact same pose under these stars uh, at the very end of the scene. Mm-hmm. One one arm up across their chest, one arm behind their head, mm-hmm. uh, and it shows us these are two identical people here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a reference to Jules Verne from the Earth to the Moon. I think uh, don't need to go too in depth to understand that. Sure. Anything else you want to talk about with this scene, or should we move on? Uh, just the fact that uh, you know she says, "Hey, I'm happy," and he says, "I know." Yeah. And again, I think it's interesting. Do you think that he had already decided that he was going to drag her off in the morning, or did that come when uh, the dude got her and uh, picked her up in the middle of the night? So it's interesting that you say. Um, that you bring up the line specifically, I'm happy and I know, because I feel like Roger has gotten a little bit greater of an understanding, like I said, as of late, about what it takes to, to uh, understanding that he has been a selfish person and that you can't always be selfish. I mean, that's the fucking reason he's here in the first place. And the difference between authentic happiness and the kind of freeing sensation you get from completely abandoning your responsibilities that's the thing you can't just be happy you can't just take into account yourself when you're including all of these things in your happiness pharrell williams would (laughs) strongly disagree with your thesis well he'd be wrong uh (laughs) because happiness is not just doing what you want all the time and i think that's what roger is really saying to his daughter here i know you're happy but tomorrow morning, your happiness has to take a back seat to your daughter's happiness. Yes. Or, I'm, I'm sorry, your son's happiness. Yes. <laughs> he yes. is a boy, right? I, he's got pretty long no, hair. No, I yeah, yeah, tell. No, elderly. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's a boy. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. Um, okay, so then Freddie brings a drunk Don home, and it's a very short scene. Roger wakes up to the sounds of his daughter going off to bone in the middle of the night, doing, you know, being happy, whatever she wants to do, when she wants to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, then in the morning, Freddie there, – there are a couple of scenes here. Uh, Freddie talks with Don about his situation, and Roger wakes up and tries to take his daughter away. Both a couple of morning scenes. Yeah, when Freddie said black as strong as Jack Johnson, I'm like, the fucking hippie surfer songwriter? That's what I was thinking too, yeah. Like Definitely that, not. I know. And then I realized, well, you know, he wasn't born yet. Apparently, yeah. a boxer. Oh, a boxer. Okay. Yeah, that was so. the one reference I had in a time to look up. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and Freddie here really puts Don uh, Don's situation in perspective for him. Like, are are you going to give them what they want and just kill yourself? And his absolute moral like authority Lane. that Don basically says, "I don't want to hear any of your shit," and and Freddie's like, "Well, too bad because this is the perfect time for you to do it," and just kept on yeah. going. That that takes a lot of guts. You you need to hear the hard truth when you are down and out. Yeah, anytime you like confront an, a, a business associate or a friend under bullshit, that takes an enormous amount of courage. Sure, but then there's like that much more when they if, if because you know some people are like, okay, I'll listen to you, but some people are like, you know, fuck you, fuck you for judging or whatever, and all the static comes back. It's another act of bravery to continue and double down and be like, no, absolutely, no, we, you know, you need to hear what I'm saying. So yeah. I thought Freddie is the fucking hero of the day, man. Yeah, no, I'm Freddie. He's pushing Don to be the Don that I want to be him to be, the Don that I'm interested in watching for another season and a half. Yeah. Well, half, three quarters, whatever <laughs> the hell AMC's calling this 
sure. fiction of two seasons. So yeah, big big turning point for Don, as we'll see in another scene. Uh, what do you make of the scene with Roger trying to take his daughter off the commune? I, I think you know I, I kind of laid it out. You know, this is him giving her a reality check and and saying, "Look, you can't just be happy for yourself all the time. You can't be selfish." I know I was, but that's not what you need to be for your your son. In fact, I think we've discussed it so much. I want to talk about the implications of the scene. Just skip to that. Okay. Um, you know, it was ugly scene. At the end, they're literally wrestling in the mud. Yeah. Do you think that this is going to make Roger finally take his role as not just grandfather, but father seriously? That he's like, I can't, this branch of my family tree, I don't know that I can save. Yeah. But maybe I can make a difference in Ellery's life. Maybe I can make a difference in my boy with Joan. Which his name's escaped to me. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, Roger Jr. <laughs> Secret Roger Jr. Yep. Maybe. Do you think that that's going to be something that galvanizes him? And do you think that this is going to be something that he can sustain? Or this is going to be another Roger? Man, I hope so. A Roger acid trip. That Like, that's the thing. I thought when he had done LSD yeah, and we've had this he was discussion. having these realizations. We have. I thought those were the turning points. And none uh-huh. of them were. Uh-huh. And now we get one, and we're so close to the end of this series. Is it going to be a situation where Roger does change? Is it going to be a situation where he doesn't? I mean, either of those could be satisfying conclusions, in my opinion. I I feel like I I at least hope that Roger is going to change by the end. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm sympathetic for the kid's sake. And, like, I've always thought – I've always rooted for Don to be a good father because Sally and Bobby and Eugene need it badly with with the problems that (laughs) betty has yeah um you can't have two terrible parents and so and i don't know anything about brooks and what he's like as a father or anything Mm -hmm. but i just feel like i would i would like to see roger get more involved sure now what's the wiener have just as he starts to do that and starts to follow through he'll have a heart attack and die probably yeah (laughs) yeah we haven't forgot about roger's heart attacks uh, final scene, Don goes back to the office to put in the work. Uh, Peggy here feels like she's won a victory over Don, I think. Hmm. But she had absolutely nothing to do with this. Like, she goes in, and Don just spontaneously says, yeah, I'll have the things on the desk tomorrow. I didn't see a bit of gloating in her. I saw relief. Okay, and maybe, maybe that's some, what it was. Maybe yeah. some satisfaction. The, but but not like uh, again. I didn't I didn't see anything malicious. No no no. I don't I don't think it was malicious. I think she just thought that maybe she had a a part in this when in fact okay. she had absolutely nothing. It was everything going on around Don. I think she was all set up to do a confrontation. Yes, she was. She and and you know she screwed her courage to the sticking place, and she waltzed in there, and he's like, "Yep, have your take lines by noon." And she it was it was relief and satisfaction more than okay. I did something here because she hadn't yeah. she hadn't done anything. I know. Yeah. So that's it's so why do you think just by her? It was just her, her facial face? expression. Yeah. Okay. And that's it. That's the end of the episode. Uh, why don't we get into? Unless you have want to talk about the song at the end, it's the Hollies. Uh, uh, it's Carousel. called On a Carousel, which makes me worry about the future of Don and Roger. Are they just yeah. stuck on this carousel, going around and around endlessly? Well, or, or is that a reference to his first crowning moment of glory with the carousel speech he gave for uh, Kodak? I mean, that's where a lot of hmm. people got hooked on Mad Men and the kind of brilliance of Donald Draper and infatuation okay. of this character. So is this a return to the glory years? 
It very well could be. Uh, you know, him sitting there and he's, you know, he's made up with his typewriter. <laughs> I feel like if <laughs> Don is with Peggy, uh, with the fact that Peggy's his de facto boss now, maybe he has, but I feel like if Don is to succeed in the future on the same level that he did in the past, he needs to, instead of sitting down at that typewriter, sit down at that computer, sit down with a punch card and start to embrace the future a little bit more. Hmm. I mean, he's there to do the work, but is he doing the right work? Well, I mean, he's doing the work that's asked of him. He is, but I, I'm I'm a little worried that he's going to get left behind still. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, the, because the again, death of the creative type is very evident in this. And that's overblown. I, I don't think so. With creative being dismantled and a computer putting it being put in maybe its place, maybe in this agency. Yes, but creative is not dying in the world for certain. And in fact, in this episode, it is. It feels like it. Mm, well, we have some feedback about. Uh, you know, as always, we have awesome feedback. So maybe yeah. we should just get into that. All right, let's do that. Let's do some pimping and then feedback. All right. Uh, you know, as always, if uh, you know, we're we're part of baldmove.com, and we have lots of content that we generate all the time on our website baldmove.com. If you'd like to support us, because Jim and I are independent podcasters, relying on in large part your support, you can go to baldmove.com and click the support icon for all the ways that you can support us. Many of which cost you nothing uh, i'm going to highlight one of those which is our subable account if you go to subable.com s-u-b-b-a-b-l-e.com slash bald move and of course there's a banner at the top of our site and you can find more about this on our support page uh it is a voluntary subscription site and you can subscribe to give us a recurring amount of money you can subscribe for free or you can give us a one-time injection of cash and you can take that every time you contribute towards us you bank uh, these reward perk dollars, uh, and you can save them up to redeem uh, some 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 big ticket stuff. We've got uh, some coupons for. Is we, do we have that active yet? The Not merch? yet. Nope. That's coming because we've got some, <laughs> we've we've been working on our merch section. You can actually see what we got now. We've added a couple designs. Uh, I got a couple of Game of Thrones and Mad Men's are going to be in the work. Uh, but there's all kinds of stuff. Uh, you can t- you can uh, chat with us on the telephone. You can commission us to do a custom podcast. You can get various uh, uh, forms of mementos and uh, bald move uh, memorabilia. Uh, but it's a really cool way. It's kind of like Jim says, a Kickstarter on layaway. And it's a big part of our support uh, going forward. So uh, check out baldmove.com, uh, the support section, for all the ways you can do. And again, there's lots that you can do that doesn't cost anything. Uh, also want to highlight one of our affiliates, uh, up yours downstairs, Tom and Kelly, they're a cute couple living in California and they do a lot of Anglophilic stuff. They do cover a lot of, uh, BBC television, a lot of masterpiece theater. Uh, they did a really bang up job, highly entertained by their coverage of Downton Abbey this season. And right now they're covering Mr. Selfridge. They just got done at the sixth episode of the second season. Very much recommend that you check them out. Up yours downstairs. You can find it on baldmove.com. Let's do some emails now. Uh, got feedback from, uh, our old friend Shep been a while since we heard sure. from him. Yeah. Said a while back, you were saying it wouldn't be too far fetched if Roger's daughter, which, uh, was part of a cult that ended up killing Megan in a Manson like fashion. <laughs> Did you forget this is the show that featured someone getting their foot severed by a riding lawnmower inside an office? I'm just saying that anything's possible. For example, he invites us to imagine a scenario in which Peggy continues her downward spiral into crazed madness. Somehow, someway, she stumbled upon Pete's Chekhov's rifle. Perhaps she rigs a setup, <laughs> a la Walter White in The Breaking Bad. Whoa, what? That might be a spoiler. A spoiler. A spoiler. A spoiler. 
uh, Walter White kills everyone with a BB gun at the end. It's insane. <laughs> uh, or just goes around the office, starts spraying buckshot uh, amongst all the men who have wronged her. Ginsburg, Lou, Don, Abe, who had just stopped by to say he was sorry. And, of course, Pete, oranges for everyone. And Teddy, who could no longer wait to get his hands on a nice warm bagel. Uh, mm, what do you think, Jim? You think uh, uh, Peggy's going to go on a homicidal rampage? Sure, why not? It's it's hard to defeat <laughs> the logic that if a foot was severed by a lawnmower, yeah, anything could happen. You know, that's a, a guy th- hanged himself in the office. Yeah, no, some I crazy mean, shit has gone down. That's the thing. If you you know, like if we were covering this at the second season, and we said, you know what, I bet someone's foot gets ran over in a lawnmower. Yeah, we'd be like, well, that's the randomest thing ever. Mm-hmm. But it happened, and we loved it. So that's the gift that the wiener has is that he pushes the envelope fairly far, and so far we've all come along for the ride. So who knows? Yeah. Um, Laura McPee said, I don't think you guys, much like the partners at SCNP, get give Harry enough credit. <laughs> ah, another one of these. True, Harry's not a very likable person, but he is probably one of the most forward-thinking people at the firm from the very beginning. He was the first one to understand the importance of having a thriving TV department. He was the first one to recognize the uh, untapped potential of the African-American market. He understands the importance of computers and data gathering and marketing. He even helped Paul when he went off at his Hare Krishna rails with a Star Trek script. Is he an ass? Sure. But I think his personality has become more and more cynical over the course of the series because people constantly undermine and underestimate him and the work he does. I'm not a Harry shipper. I just think he needs his fair due. Uh, Laura, you missed you, – you should have gone with the Harry Krishna not a Harry Krishna. Mm, yeah. Here's the thing. I enjoy hating Harry Crane as much as I enjoy hating Pete Campbell. Sure, me too. I love their characters, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't be as much fun for me to watch the show rooting for Harry and Pete. I have an inordinate amount of pleasure rooting against them and seeing uh and seeing seeing them fail and getting in their comic misadventures. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, him eating two sacks of White Castle, him trying to buy a hooker with traveler's checks. Hilarious. And I wouldn't want him to be more competent than he is. He already is pretty competent. And that's part of the – that's other reason that humor works so well. Mm-hmm. He's very competent, yet he, everyone dismisses him. Yeah. Uh, any other comments you'd like to make? Nope. Rolling on Anthony S. In episode three, Field Trip, Henry mentions patching things up with Rocky. Okay, okay. We fucked this up six ways from Sunday. Sure. We got a lot of feedback on it. Anthony is the first first one that got it to us, so he gets the credit. Okay. Uh, he was referring to former New York governor Nelson Rockefeller. Henry was an aide to the governor when Betty first met him. He left Rockefeller to join New York Mayor John Lindsay's administration as Lindsay was a rising political star, and Henry sure. felt he'd hitch his wagon to Lindsay and rise with him. Unfortunately, Lindsay's career floundered, and he never went on to higher political office. His popularity plummeted after his second term as mayor of New York, and he basically ended totally once his last term was over. In season six, Henry references his mistake in choosing to go with Lindsay, so now we see him trying to get back in Rockefeller's good graces. That's the part I didn't understand, is that he's going back to yes. Rockefeller. Yes, and also I, the, I remember the stuff about Lindsay. Uh, I did a very in-depth explanation of that last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't know that he was taking that step back toward Rockefeller. Plus, I never, I didn't see Rockefeller being referred to as Rocky anywhere. Yeah. Um, and it seems like a very casual way to address him, but I guess, you know, that's how Betty would talk to him amongst friends about mm-hmm. him. Yeah. 
Colin C. Uh, anyway, thanks for uh, helping us out with that. Colin C. said, one thing I haven't heard discussed or been able to find online is the partnership stake percentages at Sterling Coup and Partners. Joan got done Jaguar style for a 5% stake, but that's the only value I can recall hearing. My mm-hmm. feeling is that Cooper and Sterling had the largest stakes. Tim Cutler, Don, are, or Ted Cutler, Don, are approximately equal, and Pete has a small percentage. Do we know the exact values? Have I, I not been paying attention? It seems the wiener has left it all intentionally vague. Do we know the exact mm-hmm. values? Because he throws out some numbers to see what we think of. So, in my opinion, when SCDP was formed, they all had to throw in the same amount of money, which gives them all the same amount of ownership. That's the only like clue that I would use to to really calculate it. So, like twenty five percent all around. Joan gets five, which takes away what a percentage and a quarter from everybody. I have no idea how that. I don't um, know exactly how that five percent. We have no. I, we in. also have no idea that they had to buy in equally. And Pete. Yeah, had, yeah. Well, I think we do. P had to buy in too, and he's not a named partner, so they, he certainly doesn't have an equal stake. Oh, good point. Yeah. No, I, I hmm. think it's a mistake to assume that they all bought in equally. They all bought in. I thought it was explicitly mentioned that they bought in equally, but maybe not. I don't think this is also I, I think that uh Lane expressed regret that he kind of sold on the cheap. Hmm. Okay. Um You might be right. And he wishes that he had gone, you know, and, and, and gotten what he was really worth. If they were all equal, I don't see how he could say that. But he goes on and says he thinks Sterling Cooper have 25% each, Ted Cutler at 15% each, Don 10%, Joan and Pete 5%. It's hard to say, man. Um, my first problem is why would Sterling Cooper have more than Ted and Cutler? Because it was a merger of those yeah. two firms and they were all kind of equal. Yeah, I, I don't know why they would get less. It feels like that that, that CGC was slightly in, in, inferior in position because they had less partners and yeah, they, they also both weren't had the to ones go that Chevy. got G- GM. But they, yeah, I mean, they weren't initially the ones who started that, but they had to have CGC to get GM. Yes, they wouldn't have gotten elsewhere, elsewise. Yeah, and that was by far the biggest client they had, especially with Le- uh, Jaguar out of the picture. Right. I feel like... Maybe Cooper and Sterling have slightly more than Ted Cutler and Don, but I figured Ted Cutler and Don yeah. would all be equal. Maybe, and then uh, I'm Pete not sure. is somewhere below that, and then Jones. So this is all know. speculation. Yeah, we yeah, really yeah. just—they've never told us. We have no idea. Um, and he also wonders. We don't know what's required for a motion to pass their board. Is it fifty percent? They seem to vote and discuss things as equals, but we know that's not true. Cooper has far more say than Joan, for example. Again, without you seeing the partnership agreement, yeah, you have and the articles of incorporation, all that you have no idea. Well, we know that Burt Cooper has more than Joan. He would not give Joan an equal stake in the partnership just to land one client. Sure, but what I'm saying is, it could be where they informally say, "Hey, we all have an equal say, and we just vote amongst partners." But then, if something really important goes by. Yeah, you go and say, well, you know, we own twenty five percent of the company, so you add up, and then, and and there's nothing that says it's a fifty percent uh, majority. Sure. Most partnerships require like a sixty six percent super majority. Mm-hmm. Um, All right, I feel like this is uninteresting. Oh, okay, at this well, point, <laughs> we'll move on. Brett McKay says, 
just a minor note in this episode when Lou summons Peggy to his office to offer her a raise and a lead on Burger Chef. There's something in his office that I've never noticed before in previous episodes this season. A lone Cleo statuette on the still behind him. Did SC and P pull through between episodes despite only a single nomination? Hmm. I don't know. I don't. The thing is, I didn't have time to go back and look at the others when I got this email, so I don't know if it's something that we just noticed or if it's we're supposed to imply that he got a Cleo. Yeah, I don't think I'm Lou's the sure. type of guy that would get a Cleo at another agency, like you know. Yeah, I mean, he did submit his own work to the Cleos this year. Maybe he won that. I don't know. It was well, he spent what the time frame work. is like. It was in just one campaign. Hmm. So, yeah, but they said he wouldn't submit anything that he didn't get credit for. Is that right? Right, but that's something that I guess Ginsburg did for him during his regime. He didn't submit okay. anything that was before him. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I don't think we know enough to say either way. Uh, David C. says, I guess trashing Smith Coronas is not a stip. Wait, Smith Coronas? Oh, that's uh, that's a typewriter company, I guess. It's yeah. not a stipulation in Don's new work contract. <laughs> I don't know. I took it as there was so much construction noise going on that no one heard him <laughs> throw a fit. Yeah, good point. That that probably would have been cause to be severed, but he didn't break the window, and you know you couldn't hear that crashing versus all the stuff going out. Uh, Jason from uh, the Nattercast, uh, who have a popular podcast series in their own right. If you want to find it, uh, search for Nattercast on Google. N a t t e r c a s t. It's the best way to find their podcast and their rockin' Facebook site. Uh, it says, some looks convey sadness, some looks convey joy, some looks convey the ach- aching loneliness of the human condition, but some looks, some looks simply say, you and I both know that you bore Pete Campbell's bastard child, and this is the look Don gave Peggy when she put him on the tagline assignment. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I feel that. Sure, yeah. Uh, Christina S. said, Small observation, I really felt the immensity of Bert shutting down Don's genius idea to break into the computer technology industry when Don described the opportunity as the Apple. Maybe a bit on the nose writing, but still clever given what Apple's ad campaign evolved into over the years. The agency could have become one of the first to represent technology, and it or its members could have earned and passed down the legacy over the next 30 years, and we all know where that might have gone. Also, one of Apple's uh, ad campaigns featured, like, a 1984 HAL computer thing. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's like uh, uh, a, a reference one level removed. Mm-hmm. Ashley H. said, did I spy Dr. Eugene Porter of Walking Dead fame as Pete's <laughs> burger chef buddy at dinner? If so, what a difference a mullet makes. Yeah, we're, we both said get the fuck out when we read that email, <laughs> and then we looked it up, and I'll be damned, it's true. Yeah, and I looked at his eugene face, and it's there. She also continues, the Mets pennant has to be a sign of good things to come for Don, right? The 60- what? The 69 Mets won the World Series that year, much to everyone's surprise. Mm. So I'm going to take that as another optimistic hint from the wiener, so it's not a, it's not as bleak as it seems right now. Lastly, what the hell was that scene with Don harassing Lloyd out of nowhere? What did he see in his drunken stupor? Was it a reference to the devil? I think we covered I that think we well covered that. But I, God, the Mets pennant belonging to a man who hanged himself in the very office the don's in seems like an obvious thing it gets better okay bobby chapel hill north carolina in 1967 the year lane price died in the cursed mets office the baseball team lived in last place in the league a laughable 40 games out of first place Mm -hmm. 
Two short years later, in 69, the Mets crawled out from under the desk to shock the world and win 100 games, capturing their first World Series over the Orioles. 1969 was also the first first year of divisional play with the Mets in the East winning it all and the L.A. Dodgers in the West finishing well out of the running. Will SC&P West fizzle out in 1969? Baseball as a metaphor in the show. Lane killing himself was at the nadir of the Mets' existence. Don mm-hmm. finding the pennant and, and winning the World Series? Is that code? Uh, it, it could be. Maybe so. I, I think Ashley and Bobby's takes are yeah. very compelling, but I always do when I read this stuff. Sure, sure. Joe V said, the last scene is to give us some great hope that Don has turned over a new leaf and he's going to start again from the bottom and prove that he's worth something to the company. His tantrum and drunkenness aside, he seems like he's going to put forth that effort after being juiced by Freddy's pep talk. That's fine, but I don't see it lasting very long. Don has been through this existential war before, mm-hmm. from his I'm not going to cheat on my wife, I'm not going to drink again, to the entire season four physical fitness yep. memoir writing phase. Swimming phase. Ultimately, Don's mantra is, fuck it, I'm Don Draper and I do things my way. Yep. So I'm starting a pool, how many tags does Don get assigned before he says, fuck it, and punches out Avery just to get himself fired? My <laughs> guess is three episodes more worth of bullshit assignments and that will be the hanger for the first half. Agree or disagree? <laughs> I don't know about the specifics on that, but I agree with the sentiment that he's laying out there. Yeah, I mean, again, at some point, he either has to get off the treadmill and go for redemption, or this is going to be a spiraling carousel. And we don't yeah. know yet which is yet. Sure. Malika C says, I'm a bit behind you, but we're, uh, wait, I'm a bit behind, but you were talking about the ad awards and your field trip recap. This is a subject I know something a little bit about. Clients are attracted to award-winning agencies for the most part. It's a great bragging rights agency used to drum up PR and new business. Once they're with an agency, it matters less unless they're the subject of the award-winning work, which means free press uh, PR for them as well. In my experience, all departments, but especially creative, love awards. Why wouldn't they like a recognition for the work? So Lou is full of shit, no surprise. Begging Don are wedded to their work, and this is actually a primary relationship in their lives. Without it... Or without a team that fosters their passion, their lives are empty, and they don't get that passion with Tiki Lou. Okay, sure. Lou is not very creative. Well, but we also had a lot of questions about, do clients like awards or not? Yeah. And uh, And, we can hear saying they do. Of course. It seems like a obvious, stupid thing to say, for Lou to say the clients hate awards. Right. That's we pointed that out. That's fucking. But the dumb. fact that he said it like it was a matter of course, like this is like we all know the clients hate rewards. I'm gonna start start doing that in real life. <laughs> all right. Like we all know that my opinion is correct. Uh-huh. You know, just start the conversation like that. Ben C did, said, "Did the wiener mean to imply that a small part of Roger actually wanted to stay at the hippie compound?" I think we talked about that enough. Sure. Moving on, to Adam X. Just like IBM has a great product, they don't want that they don't trust to be viable in the future with the mm. IBM 360. SCNP has a creative partner that they don't trust to be viable with Don. So when he was pitching the idea of selling advertisements for Lease Tech to Bert, he was also trying to pitch himself. Unfortunately for Don, like an old computer, Bert and the other employees see Don as a machine that is obsolete, waiting to implode and eventually to be thrown away. Yeah, I'm glad he brought up that part of the conversation because we didn't talk about no, that. No, we did not. Yeah. And that's tasty, and I like it. Yep. Um, that's all the feedback we have. Uh, great episode. Uh, great feedback. Really curious to see. I mean, we are fully halfway through the season on the tail end. Only three more episodes to go, man. I feel like we just got started. We did just get started. Yeah. 
Yeah, we did. And now we're just ending. <laughs> <laughs> so a really short, weird season. Uh, join us back. If you want to um, send us uh, feedback, please do so at madmen at baldmove.com. Of course, we always have our open threads on facebook.com slash baldmove. You can tweet funny stuff or serious stuff at Jim on Twitter at baldmove. Uh, we'll see you next Sunday night and for our full cast on Tuesday. Absolutely. Until then, I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. See you next week.